0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw reward prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Block talk radio.
1: Welcome aboard to this edition of History Today with your host, Paul Angel, managing editor of the Barnes Review, my co-host, Dave Gehari, uh, American Free Press's web editor, uh, traveling uh, journalist extraordinaire, and also the host of Who's the Bad Guy, right here on the Overthrow Radio Network at overthrowradio.com. Dave, I see we have a new host. Hostess, maybe doing a new show here. I think we should give her a plug. Her name is Darabeth, and she's doing a show called Harvesting the Truth. Uh, and she's getting some pretty good numbers there. What's the times on her show Dave? That's Sunday night, eight eight o'clock in the evening Eastern time till nine. And she's talking. She's talking about politics and and other important stuff. What is what's the theme of her show? Does she well? Have yeah. Well, that that's true. You know. She's talking about a lot of things, but I mean I think that Tara Beth was ahead of the curve in a lot of ways because she is calling for has been calling for a return to the ideals of the Confederacy. And when she was saying this, you know, a few years ago, I'm sure a lot of people were scratching their heads and going, what are you talking about? You know, the South's going to rise again? Well, turns out that yeah, we would want the South to rise again if we want to get back America, that's for sure. So the show uh as I said is on um it's on Sunday evenings around eight o'clock till nine and Harvesting Truth. Let me uh let me just tell you what um what the program was about yesterday, uh Sunday, july twelfth, uh she got into the latest attacks on Confederate history and uh, what supporting the rainbow flag really means. So, yeah, good stuff like that, stuff that we should be talking about, and we're not because of the elite and the mainstream media. Sounds like a great show. I encourage everybody to tune in. Well, listen, speaking of the Confederate flag now, uh, I'd like to talk just a little bit about that issue Uh, We talked about it last week. We talked about it a few weeks before that, but I think it's a topic that there is constant repeating. When you say we want to return to the ideals of the Confederacy, I'm going to say what I think about that. You tell me what you think about that. But basically, uh, I will segue into this by saying that I'm here in Stafford County, Virginia, and uh, I live pretty close to the courthouse. And yesterday, as I was coming back from 7-Eleven to get my daily pack of cigarettes and five mountain Dews. I saw. I'm about to my teeth. You know, I like that stuff. They keep begging me to stop drinking it. But uh, I saw a, a big rally right there in front of the courthouse, and uh, it's an old courthouse here in Virginia. Of course, we have lots of Civil War history everywhere you set your foot. And might step on a mini ball or a Civil War button buried in the ground somewhere. But here was a sea of red and blue and the uh, and, uh, St. Andrew's cross. And, a lot of people just smiling and waving their flags right there on Jefferson Davis Highway, which I understand they're petitioning now to change. I guess it'll become Maya Angela Parkway or <laughs> or maybe Harriet Tubman. No, no, no. Er, no, Eric Garner or Trayvon Martin or Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and, and as another segue, I see that old Freddie mm-hmm. Gray, the 24 time loser of heroin heroin sales as getting a a community center, I think it is, named after him. But I guess it sends exactly just the right message to the youth of America. Get yourself out there, deal some heroin, deal some crack, and you might make it big in this country and get a community center named after you. But anyway, I had to stop the car and and go talk to these guys and see what they were all about. I mean, were they they going to beat me up? Were they... Were they going to be haters and evil guys, or what was the story? Of course, it was exactly as I expected. There were families there. There were kids in strollers. There were grandmas and grandpas. There were well dressed people, all well spoken, mostly white. But guess what? There were black guys there, flying the flag to supporting this rally. It was a a statement of true diversity. As you always say, and I say it again and again, we are the mainstream. They are not the mainstream. This was true diversity in action. Uh, The race is getting along well together, sticking up for a symbol of southern heritage, which many people uh, are just laughed at this idea that, that these liberals and black activists have gotten so fired up about it. This is a symbol of hate. At any rate, it was good to talk to these guys. There were some of them from the... League of the South and there was a Jason Solzer there who was the head of uh, who organized this rally, really intelligent guy. And uh and it was just a pleasure to speak with them and, and, and the guys were dressed up in Confederate garb and some of them, you know, and and then there was there was just basically a real positive thing happening there and it made me feel a lot better about this because even we who know what the truth is. And, and you avoid the mainstream media, but I hear it, I hear it on the radio, I hear it on TV. This constant barrage can get you down and make you wonder sometimes, if well, I really got it wrong. And no, the, the truth is, we don't have it wrong. They they got it wrong, and they're going to keep on getting it wrong because they're paid to get it wrong. But anyway, uh, I did get a chance to talk to a guy from the League of the South down there, another real intelligent guy. His last name is Durham, and uh, he needed a, a copy of the, I think it was called the, Pre Magnolia, what is the name of their tapes? Hold on a second, let me grab a copy. Yes, the Pre Magnolia, and uh, as I look through it, there's a guy named Michael Hill that's doing a bang up job on this publication. He's writing all kinds of stuff. It's professionally produced, and you, he's, you know who Michael Hill is, right? He's the head of. because he one of the top guys at the League of Sound? Well, he he basically created it. Okay, well there you go. I know there's a picture of him here, and their staff—they all look like great people. And um, They inter- interviewed Michael, and uh, the interview will be up today on the website. Excellent. Well, then uh, tell us what website and when and where. Well, it's AmericanFreePress.net. Check it out. Good stuff. Um, you know, he had some interesting comments. The both of them did, but I'll just tell you what Durham said. <laughs> Let me get his first name here, Ted. Dennis Durham. Dennis Durham said to me, and <laughs> he had a very good point. I had a laugh. He says, Look at what ISIS is doing in Iraq and Syria, if we can believe what the mainstream tells us. And I think we can to some degree. You have to filter it out. And There's grains of truth in there. But I know it's kind of what the Taliban did, right? When they went into, took over some portions of Afghanistan, they blew up a few Buddhist statues, right? Well, they were trying to wipe out some of these other cultural remembrances and symbols of pride. I guess that they figure this focuses the population on their movement. But ISIS, of course, recently has been accused of going into Iraq and destroying uh, some of his ancient uh, cultural relics. I don't know if they're sites or if they're just relics or both. And he says this is exactly what the ruling regime is doing in America today. They are trying to wipe out our history, trying to wipe out the symbols that a people and their cultural heritage. Here in the South, of course, that flag means a lot more than just slavery. These guys explain, as our listeners know and you all know, pretty well know, 95 to 96 percent of white people never owned a slave. Slavery was probably an institution that helped impoverish them, uh, their jobs that they could have been doing. And so when you see that flag, they see that flag go up. They just really see a symbol of resistance to federal tyranny. And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, when the when the war started, these guys in Virginia, we we were, uh, I mean, there was troops going north and south, north and south across this whole state during the whole war, and um, these guys didn't want a foreign invading force on their state's soil, and this is what most of these guys were doing. That's why they enlisted. That's why they fought. You think a guy from Alabama came all the way up here to Virginia? Fight so his rich plantation owners he probably never set foot in one of these plantations or sipped the mint julep on the front stoop. You know he had never even really benefited uh, for the most part from the institution of slavery. You think that's why he came to Virginia to help the Virginians fight the Union? Absolutely not. He came up there for the mint julep. I would. Yeah, well we don't we don't serve mint juleps here. We mix ours with Mountain Dew. Well that. Wait, wait a second. First, let me say that Chris Petherick has joined us.
0: Oh, good morning, Chris.
1: How are you doing?
0: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm just sitting back, well, relaxed, and listening to you, Paul. Actually, it's very interesting. I, I wish I had attended that uh that uh meeting over the weekend or that uh, the rally over the weekend. You know, it's uh it was, that's it, it, inspiration. I've seen a lot of that lately, you know. There's a lot of stuff on social media where people are putting up Confederate flags and uh um uh, and uh you know the whole thing is heritage, not hate and uh and you can appreciate that you know as people are trying to take back the message on it because uh you know the message so far they've been shouted down it's been you know you're a traitor and uh you're a traitor to the nation if you if you like the confederate flag and uh and you support a uh, a legacy of of hate you know going back to the days of slavery. And most people you speak to, you know, who who are interested in that, that's that's certainly not where they're coming from. That's not the angle that they're coming from. So there's this incredible disconnect. And uh, Tara Beth, who had her show on last night on the Overthrow Radio Network, she uh, Harvesting Truth is the name of her show. It airs uh, eight to nine on Sunday nights. Uh, She was talking about um, at their when they they hosted their Freedom Palooza. Yeah, the dog even like Yeah, when they hosted their Freedom Palooza uh festival uh over the 4th of July weekend, they had a guy there who is a uh flag dealer, sells flags. And uh he was talking about now it's becoming difficult because he says according to him the demand is way up for these Confederate flags, but he's having a great deal of difficulty finding anybody who can uh uh that he can purchase them from, you know, wholesale to sell them to people. So it's so you're right, Paul, it is slowly being uh throttled back, it's being strangled.
1: Well, you know, listen, we got a chance to talk to those Virginia Flagger guys in that interview for the Barnes Review magazine. And, um, you know, they, uh, uh, they're they flying their flag on private property. and We kind of discussed this a few weeks ago that it may be that we're not going to make much progress on getting this flag put back up over capitals in the South, that the different states want to resist. I imagine the federal government will punish them in some fashion by oh, I don't know, holding back highway funds or whatever. You know how that goes. But we, we can get people to fly this flag over the private property. The question is, let's say you have a black neighbor, and this black neighbor comes to you and says, I'm really offended by that flag. How do you handle that? You, you, you talk to them, of course, but, I mean, how would you – would you take it down because it's a it, it's a constant insult to him, or would you try to educate him? What would
0: you do? Anybody can answer that one. Well, we got we a to caller to too. There's so we many got, emotions tied into help this. Help oh, please through. screen him first, though, Dave. Let's not have a repeat of what happened no, a couple of weeks it's, ago. It's, and I, no, I no, said, I
1: I said uh, I said it was Harold.
0: Oh Harold! Oh okay, good. You know it's such an emotional issue, Paul. It's very difficult to have a uh, a uh, um, you know an, an intelligent conversation with people about this because it immediately falls back into emotions and about how could you support something and you're you're supporting hate and uh, it's terrible and look people are murdering other people over this you know over this flag. So just take the flag down and just take it out of existence since it has all of this without really having a discussion about what it is you know, what it stands for and what it represents. So that's a very good question. I don't know how you confront people. There's a lot of people you can't well, confront would, about it.
1: Does the black nationalists have their own flag that is, that is some symbol of pride to them? I don't know if black people have a flag. They, they like uh, some of the African flags. They they do like the colors red, black, and green, I believe, for symbolic purposes. I mean, maybe you tell the guy to go in and buy them a- Buy him some flag he likes, and tell him to fly his flag, and you're not offended by it. I don't know. At some point in time, we do have to live with our neighbors and
0: have love our neighbors. It's recorded in the Bible.
1: And but so, you know the uh,
0: is- you know Native Americans. I mean, there are certain. Obviously, we know certain tribes. There was a there was a long history of violence and a uh, terrible violence you know there but but that has all sort of been pushed aside and ignored i mean certainly in throughout african history it wasn't it wasn't this great utopia that uh, that they'd like people to believe it was extremely violent uh, uh slavery existed even before the uh um you know before uh, the white man showed up and started uh, uh purchasing slaves and then bringing them to europe and then the new world as well uh, and so all throughout the the world, we're, we're seeing this. You know, in New Zealand, where my family comes from, the Maoris, for instance, there was uh, for many of them, there was a uh, uh, they were they were cannibals because there was limited protein uh, in, on that island after they they went through a lot of the bird population, and it wasn't as as ready. And and there were tribes and various clans that would go down and raid other clans, and they would take away women and rape them and uh, uh, turn them into their wives. And it was extremely violent. The British came along and actually. When they colonized it, they kind of they they you know with the British are very officious, so they set up courts and they they uh, stabilized everything and stabilized that country. And I have an aunt who's Maori. And she remembers she was very happy when the British showed up uh, that uh, because they, they protected their their particular village they had from other more aggressive villages. But that, in, in the general narrative in that country, that's been lost because now all they talk about is how the white men came and they stole all the land from the Maoris, and so now they're giving land and setting aside certain areas for the Maori, and, and it's become very similar to, to what's going on here in the States.
1: Well, my point, I guess, is there comes a point when you do have to kind of disregard other people's feelings because hurt feelings uh, and uh, are, have been used for so long to create guilt. And I do think people need symbols of their own cultural pride. And if you haven't got one, don't take mine. And so uh, it, it's 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 a it's a sad thing when people don't have some some unifying symbol uh, of their own culture to to fly with pride or to display with pride. They want to bring Harold on there and see what he's got to say. All right, let's bring Harold on. Harold, hey, good are you
2: out I'm out here. Good, good morning, morning here. to all of you. Hey, listen, I Thank just you, want sir. to say this, that people need to grow up a little bit. You know, these people who want diversity are going to have to accept diversity. And if they don't like it, well, I guess that says more about their level of hypocrisy than anything I can think of.
1: Well, that is so true. That is so true, because um, now we are but we we can fly the rainbow flag in our yard and we could probably fly the flag of uh, uh, Robert Mugabe over there in Zimbabwe, right? This mass murderer. Yeah. And, 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 but we can't fly the Confederate flag. And, and it's, it's hypocrisy and it seems a little bit of jealousy too, because we have these, these, uh, these symbols. I wonder what really is running throughout through the mind of the black guy who was offended by the flag, because listen, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, Amazing when I was listening to this, um, uh, the, the, the celebration, the taking down of the, the Confederate battle flag of the South Carolina State House. And so we saw a very solemn ceremony. It was two white cops in almost a military like uh, ceremony, very slowly and very solemnly took that flag down, folded it up, rolled it, tied it, and they hand, handed it to a black cop. And so he treated it with respect, because it is it is state property, for crying out loud. But one of the black commentators I was listening to said, oh, this is ridiculous. All oh, this respect for this flag. I just don't get it. This is just a flag of hate and all this. But he says, to, he says, that guy should have dropped the flag on the ground. And I'm thinking, wow, there's a level of... Active, activism in, in, in this country where they're really juicing up the black population to really believe that this flag isn't something that it really is. And you mentioned that, Chris. You said there's a real disconnect here. And that's what you saw when you saw this black cop take that uh, you, I think he was a state cop. I'm not sure. It was an honor guard or some type. Take that flag very respectfully. And here it is his, uh, you know, so racialist is telling him basically that he'd done it. He just let it fall on the ground and probably stomped on it. And, you know, uh, they ask, uh, excuse me, I want to say something else about Harold's point. Here we have this guy who shoots nine blacks in the church. Okay, fine. And then Allegedly. We have, allegedly. And then we have a, a black guy who tortures to death. We've mentioned this before, this Greek family, right, for hours and hours. Now, we're supposed to show forgiveness and tolerance for this a uh, black fellow, poor black guy, grew up with racism, grew up with hatred around him. Uh, the the, uh, the the hatred that uh, of blacks by whites uh, that unifies the black race. Constant racism. Please forgive me, He came from poverty, which I don't even know if it's true. Yet one. White kid, one white man, he's 21, but he looked pretty immature here, uh, kills these people, and yet the entire, every single person who flies that flag is branded under the same, uh, you know, the same large brand, we'll say. It's just shocking to think.
2: That's what you
1: call logic, my friend. Yeah, (laughs) logic of the new world. What call logic? yeah, that's right. That's right. But it, it really does need to be countered. And so we're not going to see it coming from the states. I don't think too many uh, – a few state reps have been standing up in their local communities. But others are not. And they're bending over Nikki Haley, these these vote-grubbing white politicians, specifically Nikki Haley. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, Lindsey Graham and these other ones have flip-flopped and changed their mind on the issue. And they're just uh, pandering to the moment, you know. We're going to see – um, if this issue even comes up, but I would guarantee you, amongst Republicans specifically who are looking for minority votes, I would think, unless you guys know that one of them has come out uh, with a different stance, that every one of them is going to jump on this bandwagon because not one of them is going to stand up and say that this is a, a symbol of cultural strife. Except for Trump, did he? Because I'm not I, sure I doubt it. Mind. I don't
0: think Trump. I don't think Trump would stick his neck out on something like that. I just don't. Um you know on that particular issue he's he's uh, he's appealing to his constituents honestly i i think that the the flag is largely an issue for uh, a small number of people in the south you know and uh i don't think it's that big of a deal across the nation i think uh republicans are more worried in largely in you know the the, the standard stuff the economy illegal immigration this type of thing and uh, and I don't think that that's really gonna you know that's going to be a big issue. They might they might ask them what they think, but I don't think any of them is going to make a stand on it. Politicians just don't do that, you know. And Trump is really well, appealing to a north, very angry constituent portion of the uh, of his uh, of the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, people in the north ought to be asking this question though. What's coming next?
0: All right, well, they, they better it. understand
1: that. I and, mean, this is an easy target for the South. As I, you, I talk about my Mountain Dew, look at the little logo they have for this. Company, who was originally a a mountain guy in bare feet and a straw hat that was all beat up. I mean, the mischaracterization of the people of the South has been
0: going on since the beginning of the Civil War. Well, really before that. But, I mean, they. But you know, Paul, people don't even know what July 4 is. Uh, I saw this great uh, video. I was just going through. You know, some. I was up and drinking my coffee and watching this last week. It was aired. It was some one of these like you know television talk shows at night who was you know making a joke. I forget who it was, but he was out there interviewing people on the street. I think it was New York City, asking them you know what what is July 4, what is it what does it mean, what is it really about, and nobody could answer. What it was, nobody had a clue what July 4 was about, what the point what what the point of it was. So to, to go in there and and expect people to have an understanding of the nuanced complicated history of uh, of the civil war and what it was about i mean it's just it's ridiculous it's it's just not going to happen today for the overwhelming majority of americans you wanted to say something Harold
2: Yeah i was just going to say yeah. oh my god people are really that stupid that they don't have any idea of what the fourth of july is do we even have a country
1: <laughs> well Listen, it's all part of the plan, I guess, is to, is to slow everybody down and dumb them down so bad that they don't ask too many questions. But um, exactly. anybody who doesn't know what, what happened on July 4th, <laughs> needs to find out <laughs> pretty quickly. But I will just say this, that really the characterization of people in the South is it's racist to some degree, and it's it's an insult the way that it's been portrayed as backwards hillbillies when many of these people are extremely intelligent. Dave, hey, you made the point. You're going down to League of the South to, to, to uh, uh, we're the place where uh, Kill Mockenberg is written, right? And you, were, you mentioned to me how many of the great American authors are Southerners. That's right. I'm going up. Remember, I'm, deep, going I'm up. in the deep south. Yeah. I keep forgetting that. You're on that panhandle. You still got 500 miles to go before you hit Key West, although I think that's kind of like not really the south. <laughs> no. <laughs> Miami really, you know, kind of stops halfway through there. in Well, um, there's a lot of people who wanna split Florida into a north and south, you know, actually two separate states. It's that different. Yes it is. Uh well listen, you're you are going down to the league of the south. Where you where are you or up, excuse me. You're going where? When are you going? What are you gonna be doing? Who are you gonna be seeing what's the goal of this whole thing? What where they got going on? All right, well tomorrow I'm going up to Monroeville, Alabama, which is where to kill a Mockingbird was set at. You know, a lot of it is based on true events with this fe- fella Atticus Finch, who uh, a new book's coming out, a sequel, shall we say. It's really not a sequel. It was actually a precursor to Killing, Mo- to Killing Lock Killing Bird, but she changed it around a bit. And, of course, Atticus Finch is known throughout the country to those who read. And there was a movie made about it, of course, with Gregory Peck as a fella who, uh, you know, defended integration. And this book shows that Atticus Finch was not an integrationist. He was a staunch segregationist. So going up there for the launch of that book at the bookstore in Monroeville, Alabama. And then on 24th of this month is the National Convention of the League of the South, which has been around for 21 years. And it's exactly what we're talking about. These are folks who are traditionalists. They want to bring back bring back America the way it was. It was founded by white northern Europeans, and certain ideals and certain mores and cultures were with these folks and were with us for all these years until, of course, these what many people call and and Michael Hill call the cultural communists took over. So I want to see what these folks have to say and and report back to uh, to you all. I'll tell
2: you guys one thing. I've, I've never flown the Confederate flag, but I'm going to just for the heck
1: of it. Well, good for you. It's a beautiful thing, I'll tell you. It, it, it's a boulder flag, the United States flag. When you look at the United States flag from a distance, the stars kind of fade into the blue field make a light blue, and then the say, uh maybe they like it for this. The red and white stripes kind of fade into a pink. Hey man, I like the American flag. But the, the Confederate flag is a bold flag and it's a uh they had them out there too, of course, as we have discussed on previous shows, There's multiple versions of that gorgeous flag. But it was just good to see those people out there. And uh and and, and, and so many of them well behaved, of course as as we rednecks like to do down here when we go by and we don't want to show support. We don't honk our horns. We put our cars in neutral and then rev them up really high and burn out the motor. <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway, so I, I suggest people take a look at uh, some of the photos we got of, of these people that were there. We're going to be posting them later this week, I imagine, on the American Free Press website. I, well, is there any other comments that anybody would like to make on the flag? Because if uh, when we're finished with this, I am going to kind of jump into a, a discussion from the time we have left of a completely different subject. You know, just like
0: comment. Sure, go ahead, Harold. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
2: No, that's fine. It's no problem. Uh, I just wanted to say this. I think there's going to be a backlash on this. I think what's going to happen is that a lot of people are going to say, oh, we can't fly that. Well, I'm going to fly it just because I can. And I think, I think sometimes these people that try too hard to destroy things will find in the long run that there is a backlash. Well,
1: uh, you know, I let agree me with you. Say I say that before. Chris, I want to cut you off because sure, I want no to give trouble. you the last word on this because yeah, I yeah. think you're going to agree with me. I don't agree with Harold. I don't think there is going to be a backlash, at least anything significant. There was a story yesterday. Confederate flag supporters rise up to defend and battle symbol and... Supposedly, here we had 4,500 people turned out for this Florida Southern Pride ride in Ocala, 1,500 vehicles. But I just don't see enough people across the country really giving a hoot and a holler, much like you said, Chris, about how these politicians really don't give a darn. I mean, it's like flyover country in the middle of middle of the United States, right? Something that uh, only a few people care about. So I, I, I would have to disagree with Harold. Chris?
0: Yeah, I think uh it's going to it it you know in in, in the you know the, those few states down there in the south where it matters it's going to continue to matter and those people are going to fly their flag no matter what uh no matter what anybody says and they don't they just don't give a damn about it. But I th- I got to agree with you Dave. I think overall, you know, the uh across the country, it's people are going to unfortunately move on and fail to recognize the fact the, of the importance of this issue, and to me the importance of this issue is not necessarily whether you even like the flag or support the flag, but it's about the, uh, uh, the, the an individual and, uh, and, and an area's right to to define their heritage, to define their legacy and to, uh, to establish themselves and, and be who they want to be without this pressure from New York City or Los Angeles or these other areas where they have these large media which just hammer these, these, these people. And so that's why I support the flag i don't really you know i my my family didn't fight for the confederacy They we weren't even in the country at that point so uh um uh, you know my my mother's side came over from italy around uh you know like 1910 and uh my my father didn't arrive from new zealand until the 1960s so so i it, you know it it doesn't mean as much to me but 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 we have family down in the South, and it means a tremendous amount to them and their heritage. And there still are people, you know, they remember their grandmother telling stories about what it was like, you know, and uh, what it was like for the Confederacy. So, so I respect that, and I think the rest of the country should really respect it because, yeah, like Paul said, he, today it's the flag. What's next? You know, what's, yeah. what's going to be, what are they going to go after next? Well, I agree with you, Chris. Well, You're
2: absolutely right about that. We have one guy locally in one of the local towns up here in northern Idaho who actually has a replica of uh, a vehicle, the General Lee, and he drives it around every once in a while, and everybody likes it.
1: That's pretty funny. Yeah, I was with yeah, a I lot do. of cat talking. I heard I heard an interview with a black guy the other day who said, uh he loved the, the, the General Lee. I always wanted the General Lee as a kid. He made models of the General Lee. But every time his father would find him, he you can't bring that Confederate flag in his house. Boy. <laughs> you know? And the poor guy, Cooter, I guess that's his name right. Cooter, I, I never saw the show, I have to admit. But he's been um, pushing forward, and he's uh, selling his own, his own memorabilia and everything else, doing what he can, uh, can, and trying to become a little spokesman of this.
0: He was a congressman, uh, I, believe. I believe. Yeah. Cooter, he was yeah, the yeah, he was okay. the uh, yes. drove the tow truck. Yes, that's correct. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah he drove correct. the tow truck. I remember.
1: Yeah, no, there was probably a tell me there wasn't a characterization of a particular southern cop. Don't southern cops also How that was Roscoe P. Kind
0: of, that was Roscoe P. Coltrane. He was the uh, he was oh, yeah. the. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was the the the, uh, the well, bumbling oafish cop. Well, actually, he was, and he was always frustrated. But I forget the guy who was underneath him. He was the the deputy. He was the one who was kind of the bumbling oafish uh, uh, cop. I guess
1: my point there is that here we have a characterization of white cops today as being brutal and uh, racist, right? And and it's kind of a continuation of this character caricature of southern cops too. I mean, listen, I'm telling you that it, 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 when, you, when you lie long enough about people, it, it, it sticks. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if black kids grown up, if they see um, uh, the, the old editions, or reruns, uh, the Dukes of Hazard probably think it's a, a History Channel program. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, uh, they, they okay. might—they might think it's actually happening live. I mean, that's how stupid they are. They don't know what July 4th is. They don't know who the president is. They can—you imma- can imagine that they can imagine it would be anything. Well, pretty much. Well, listen, so I'm going to get the last word on this. I'm sorry, it's my show. Ha ha. But uh, I think that's the Dukes. Yeah, yeah, that's good, too. Or you, or you disconnect. Okay. But I think Harold is partially right, and I think you guys are partially right. I think it, it depends on, there will be, there's already been a little pushback. We haven't seen Confederate flag rallies here. And, and, and it, getting parents to discuss stuff with their kids, this is what I always say, that education is the cure for just about everything. Real history is the cure. Knowledge and truth are the cure. And so it is opening up the chance for people to talk about something that we never thought we were going to have to talk about. The history of the flag, the pride of the Confederacy, the resistance to federal tyranny, the history of the United States. I mean, we were talking about the moral tariff back uh, in our last program briefly. But in 1832, they slapped the South around pretty good. With uh, and I believe the way it worked was, uh, was this. The Northern Industrialists were uh, uh, manufacturing goods at a, at a very expensive rate. So a southerner, really, who uh, a good, the vast majority of these southerners when as well off of the city dwellers, I believe, were buying these products that were uh, brought in from uh, England and France. Uh, the North decided they were going to tariff these goods, and we always did the American Free Press, and, A lot of nationalists love tariffs because it punishes the importer and helps you buy American. And they were going to force these Southerners to buy American, even if they couldn't afford to buy American. And um, in the end, what happened was uh, the states, Southern states, decided to wanted to nullify this tariff. And what they did was they said that they were going to, when the ships came in from foreign uh, ports. They were going to stick the tariffs on them, and most of these were federal uh, tax people, right? And the federal tax would so slap the tariff on Well, they were just going to ignore this federal law. And this brought up this whole idea of can a state ignore a federal law that they think is uh, bad for their state? And this is happening today with this legal immigration stuff. States tried this nullification angle. And, by the way, what the Southerners do was they just let the ships come in, didn't apply the tax or they applied the tax at a much lower rate and let their southern people buy these um, tariffs goods. But here we have Arizona, who has determined that some of these uh, federal immigration laws either aren't strict enough or they can do a better job themselves, and they've tried their own form of nullification, and it, we've seen now what strong, overly invasive federal government will we'll do. It just passes a law that says, we don't care about your state. We don't care that you're the ones on the ground who really know about what's going on here We're just going to make our law And you're going to stick to it The question is whether or not This is ever going to uh, resolve itself And in the end That notification crisis With Andrew Jackson A you know, funny guy uh, A great president But he did not believe That the states had a right to secede And he was going to crush them And uh, Buchanan of course Was truly a southerner I believe even a southern sympathizer And so uh, And maybe it was Jacob Calhoun And Clay were, were uh very prominent po- at the time. As a matter of fact, I think it was John Quincy Adams, right, the, the second son, John Adams, John Quincy Adams was president, and Calhoun was his vice president. Ended up resigning and wanting to be Jackson's vice president, and it was very convoluted. But in the end, it got kicked down the road to the to the, the 1860s, and the same incident, the same set of circumstances, was what actually led to the Civil War. It was this terror, the tariffs that were laid on these uh, goods coming from foreign countries, forcing the South to buy goods they could not um, uh, afford. In the end, uh, the southern states decided not to obey the federal government, and they decided to remove these federal taxing, uh, the, I don't know what to call them, offices, we'll say. And so what the union did was they stopped the federal taxing offices for there, and forced the ships to come into places like Fort Sumter. And so they came into Fort Moultrie and Fort Sumter, and that's when they said the South said enough is enough. We're not going to let you send your foodstuffs and armaments to Fort Sumter, and to basically continue feeding and, and hiding your tariff masters. And that's when the whole thing started. And uh, trust me, if Buchanan had done a better job. I think what they ended up deciding to do in 1832 was increase the tariff very small uh, amounts up to the 1860s. But if they had, uh, Jackson had his way, he would have probably invaded uh, with a force into South Carolina, forced South Carolina to be subjugated at that time, which would have been probably a mini Civil War. I'm not so sure some of the other uh, southern states were ready for it. But in the end, all that happened was that same issue of, uh, of and the core of the Civil War was can the federal government? dictate to your state what is the best thing for your state when your own people unanimously disagree with it. At any rate, I think there's going to be a little bit of a backlash. We'll see how long it goes on. But I think if the backlash is education and a cultural discussion, and if it's even discussing with your neighbors of any race, creed, or religion, then that's fine. Uh, These guys at this rally yesterday were 100% convinced that this was a wedge into an attack upon the last devout area of the country. They believe the South is the last truly unanimously Christian area, and that this was uh, an attempt to get their Bibles, their guns, and now their culture. So, we'll see what happens. I think we should stay on hey, this
2: Thanks thing. for I having me been... sure, show, uh, Paul. appreciate
1: it. Uh, no problem. Thank you, Harold. Now, let's, uh, let's jump to the right right. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Okay, I said see you later. That's all. Oh, very good. All right. Well, listen, listen. we're going to talk about a completely different subject for the next 20 minutes of the show. i got to tell you, Chris, I'm way behind on this paper, so we're just going to stick it out here for an hour today. But one of the subjects that's of great interest to me is Ancient Mysteries of the Americas. And, of course, several programs on History Channel have popped up recently, and there's been a great increase in this subject. Some of the, the claims uh, about ancient visitors... To the Americas are kind of outlandish, but a lot of them are true. And one of the places where we have looked into inexplicable mysteries of the ancient past is in the American Northeast. They're all over the country, but that's going to be kind of the focus of the remaining portion of our program today. And one of these is these mysterious megaliths of New England. Now, up in New England, in multiple states, including Connecticut, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, there's... Weird finds that people have come across over the past few decades, of which mainstream historians like to scoff and, and lie about and hide, I guess because of their own concern for making fools of themselves if they don't uh, stick with the mainstream line of history. But what they found up there, not only some really pretty sophisticated like underground chambers and standing stones, reminiscent of them, kind of like stone heads, nothing of that size or really sophistication, but but some very interesting constructs. they have also found a lot of the European, ancient European carvings, in particular Ogon, which was the ancient Irish, I guess they called stick writing, you might know, Chris, where you would draw a vertical line or a horizontal line and make marks above below the line. And these were uh, kind of almost like runic futark, right? I think it was called but in the heart of New England, here are these, these sites of what we think are great antiquity. And these sites are so, so sophisticated. They're so mysterious that s- lots of serious archaeologists have, like, declined to even study them because of the monumental implications. What it basically means is that if the, these are what we think they are, it means that Europeans were over here, not just 1,100, uh, excuse me, if that was 1,000 years ago, um, yeah, about a thousand years ago, Vikings were here. But we're talking thousands of years before that. Last show, we talked about these mysterious marine men of Michigan who were uh, mining copper up in the Upper Peninsula up there and perhaps even transporting it down to Poverty Point down in Louisiana to send it back. Now, these aren't those people. These are pretty much, I think, probably either Celt-Iberians, the Celts, the Iberians, uh, and what happened at the time, I think was most of the, and by the way, also Carthaginians who came from North Africa, but were also up in Iberia and the Spanish peninsula, but they, um, kind of banded together against the Romans and the, the Celts had amazing ships. The Phoenicians, which were the forerunners of the Carthaginians also had, as we all know, amazing seafaring capacity. Uh, but these places up there, you'd be surprised how many they are. They are here's a couple of the names of them. Uh, There's Mystery Hill in New Hampshire. There's the Upton Cave. There's a Calendar 1 and Calendar 2 site. There's a Gundy Womp site and in, in, in Druid Hill are in Connecticut. It's funny that one place is called Druid Hill. It had Druid Hill and Bridget's Hill. Bridget was an ancient Celtic goddess, I believe, uh, for, for hundreds of years. Even when the when the first settlers came, they were naming these sites after places in Europe or even uh, adapting Indian names to them because they they resembled, uh, there was something strange going on. The Europeans would name them after sites they'd seen in England because they were pretty much, or England and Ireland, um, uh, pretty much convinced that these were built by people who had come before them, perhaps Irish uh, monks or Celtic monks, although I'm not so sure. But anyway, um, uh, uh, and I'm looking at a, a booklet that I came up with so, I'm going to read a couple passages here and there uh, from it. But there was a, a clergyman named Cotton Mather at the time, and uh, he found a lot of these uh, Ogamic inscriptions up in New England, which people said were just plow marks from stones. And it's almost impossible because people have uh, uh, translated them since then. But this was way back in 1712, and he discovered some strange cuts. On an exposed rock in Dighton, Massachusetts, it was a rock that was out in the water, and it was far from where a plow could have cut it. So it was obviously not a plow, that something that man uh, had done with a with a plow or modern man. And it was in the Taunton River, and he began marking the stuff down, and he made inscriptions of them. They so sent this stuff off to the Royal Society in London, England, and he told them that that he had found this just amazing thing, and that these carvings were. An ancient scriptural alphabet, and so his letters generated little or no interest. Actually, uh, the people, the scientists, of the Royal Society at the time were—they uh, were looking at um, uh, rock inscriptions just now in Ireland, so they weren't buying that the Irish could have gotten over here. Uh, but later on, these, uh, these European inscriptions were called, uh, were found to be a form of Gaelic Celtic, and so we think the Celts were over here in American Northeast. Well, well, well before uh, Columbus, perhaps even as early as say 1500 to ni- 1900 to 1500 BC. But the one site that everybody kind of uh, looks at and almost has to admit that uh, so the, the ancient Europeans were over here is this site in New Hampshire called Mystery Hill. And uh, there's standing stones there, there's uh, underground chambers. There are, uh, 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 there's drainage there. Uh, for instance, I'll go to tell you a little bit about it. If you stand at one of the stones in Mystery Hill, and uh, it's like what we call the standing stone. If you looked over top of some of these megaliths, which are large standing stones, on the solstices, you know, uh, and, uh, and the equinoxes, and I'll just talk about that in a second, about exactly how they did that. But you'll see these the sun setting and rising over some of them on the solstice days. And setting and rising over top of these stones in the equinox days, for those who don't get it, if you take the year and you make a circle out of it, instead of a straight timeline, uh, you would divide the year into four quadrants, the let's call it the northern the northern uh, it's a cross through the middle of a circle. So the point of the northern cross would be, say, the, uh, the June solstice. This is where the day you have the longest day of the year and after that point, the days get shorter. Our right uh, arm of the cross would be the fall equinox, equi, the equal. This is where the days are 12 hours long, 12 hours a day and 12 hours at night, so that's the equinox. That was important to them. This marked when the sun was also going to start, the days were going to start getting longer again. Uh, The southern arm of the cross would have been the winter solstice this is when the shortest day of the year happened A very scary time for uh europeans who uh, unless you were a priest or something and understood this is a cyclical thing and because the days were getting shorter and shorter and shorter from the time of the of the uh spring equinox uh, to the uh excuse me from from the uh fall equinox to the time of the Winter solstice, and some of these people, the, the, the uneducated ones, the primitives, would think, "Well, with the sun, are the days just going to keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter until there's no more sun at all?" So the priests would love to come out and have a ceremony where they would mark the sun as the, uh, knowing that this was the shortest day of the year, and and then ensuring people, of course, that the days would begin to get longer after this, to the point when you come to the spring equinox when the days are equal again, and then the days get longer and longer and longer. So it's a scary time for people. It's why they created many of these um, these megalithic complexes and why they lined them up. They wanted to know their calendars. They wanted to know when the days were going to get longer, when they were going to get shorter. They even knew that these people were sophisticated enough According to researchers at Mystery Hill, to have uh, sighting stones that would tell them the metonic cycle, and that's the cycle of the moon, it takes thus not a certain amount of time to go full and then to a crescent moon and full again. But it also takes a certain number of years, if I came up the top of my head, maybe 59 years or 58 years, for it to return to the exact same spot in the sky. So these people who are building these sites were very intelligent. They have been watching the skies for hundreds of years, but they were also incredible builders. Now Chris, are you there? No. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Dave. Okay. Well, listen, you're a farmer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Critics or, or skeptics of these sites in New England found they they, had co- they thought they were underground root cellars from their ancestors. A little bit you now, like when the solstice would come up, the sun might come over the hill and it would shine through a small hole in this underground chamber, and it would shine in the back of the wall on a quartz crystal that had been placed into the wall. And so people said, "Well, they're just root cellars." Now these root cellars had one and a half, two-ton lintels on top, maybe six of them lined up. Mm. You're a farmer. If you were going to make a root cellar, how would you do it?
0: <laughs> you dig a hole, yeah, uh, pretty much, you, you know, and yeah. get some drain yeah. make sure you got cover, decent drainage, and that's about it. Yeah.
1: Right, and, and you cover it over with wood. Maybe you rebuild yeah. it, but you certainly don't drag one and a half no. tons stones, five or six of them, over top. No. Yeah. This is what they found up in Mystery Hill, but they also found yeah. one of the most... I mean, you would be uh, careful. By- you
0: would you you would watch the placement to make sure the sun shined in the right position, this type of thing, you know, uh, along those lines. But the idea that, yeah, that you would, you know, drag a two-ton stone over the top of it or go to the lengths of... I've Yeah, I've read about some of these things. Go to the lengths that, that they, they went to, to to construct these things, you know. No, you wouldn't, absolutely wouldn't do that.
1: And you probably wouldn't line up for your root cellars so that on each of the four major divisions of the year, the sun came through and hit a quartz crystal in the back. you got better things to do. We're talking about Indians yeah. out there wanting to fight you. You're talking about feeding your starving family. You might even be talking about making sure that your turkey did not eat up all your green beans. So yeah. people don't have... <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, that's so what Chris was doing before the show, making sure his turkeys didn't eat up his green
0: beans. Uh, yeah, I, was, I had a turkey was, and my but, green beans. I was chasing them out, yeah. <laughs> but
1: interestingly, there's some there's a... So they were skeptics, and they just wouldn't listen. Now these are root cells. And, of course, these markings, these carvings that have, like, the Eye of Bell and Ogamic inscriptions, which uh, some researchers have translated, um, you know, they're like, well, those are just the marks of the roots on these on these stones. And so they kept stopping. As a matter of fact, uh, the Mystery Hill site was found by, by a guy named Jonathan Patti back before the Civil War. And they used it as a way station on the Underground Railroad because they would hide slaves up up north, and I guess maybe the northern slaves who wanted to escape, but they would hide them underground in these very dry and very safe and very secretive underground cellars. But one of the amazing uh, uh, underground constructs at uh, Mystery Hill has like a two and a half ton, three ton glacial erratic there. It's one that was just dropped by by, uh, a glacier. And then next to that you'll find this wall that's built with Overy construction that resembles the stone walls in Ireland so closely. And another wall might be made of two or three of these two or three, four, five ton stones. The bottom is paved. The thing drains. And One of the amazing things is, what is well, they have a sacrificial process, what they call a sacrificial altar. I'm not exactly sure what that is. It has a runnel around the side to drain something. But right underneath this table, this large table, which is above ground, and this chamber that is underground. There's like a very carefully made and uh, layered, I guess what is it? there's the, there's a tube, we'll say made through the stone that comes up under the sacrificial table, and inside the chamber there's like a step there, as if a man could step on top of his step speak into the opening, and this opening would go up and a voice would come out underneath the sacrificial altar. We don't know whether it was animals that were sacrificed there, which is what the um, Celts would have done most. The Celts and the Phoenicians both did practice some forms of of human sacrifice, but the the Phoenicians particularly were uh, sacrificers They sacrificed children a lot of times. And there's a, a graveyard and an ancient Carthaginian graveyard in North Africa, I believe that's got like thousands of children. so they were they were a, a, a kind of a primitive, I would say, almost to the point of, of sacrificing humans. but there's only one other place in the world where this exact construction is. And there's no way, by the way, that American colonialists did this, that American Indians did this. I mean, why would you go to the trouble of all this uh, all this work and make this tube to come up underneath this sacrificial um, altar? Uh, there's only one other place in the world where this happens, and that's on the islands of Malta. And Malta, too, of course, is extremely uh, famous for its massive megalithic structures, very much related to this. So they're not sure. Maybe the Maltese people, whoever was in Malta, uh, had, had been able to sail here or come with. Who knows? They may have come together. As I mentioned, the Phoenicians and the Celts were hanging out together. The Tartesians were there. This was a group on the west part of the Iberian Peninsula. Yeah, even Semites came. Some Jews allegedly came. And they, I don't know if they were Jews at the time or they were called, what were they, uh, Hebrews or whatever. I mean, you had to have bookkeepers. And so they may have all come together at the time. So you're finding all this stuff and, and 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 everybody's denying that it's that it's ancient. But if you look at this, if you go online and look at pictures of the Oracle Chamber, I believe they call this one in Mystery Hill, there's absolutely no doubt. You'll be convinced. But there's also beehive tombs up there. There's like long um tunnels that go into underground chambers in, in several of the states. They look a lot like New Grange. You remember New Grange. that's that massive Burial Mound, I think it's in, I think it's in England. I'd better be right about that one if I'm going to be talking about it. But when the, the solstice um, uh, sun sets or rises, it comes through this long chamber and hits again either quartz or garnet in the back. And it was a real it was a real show, I would imagine, when the, when the um, uh, events would happen. And, of course, it could very well have been the people who built Stonehenge got over here. We're not 100% sure. We just know that it ain't the American... Colonists who built this stuff. Because there's just too many of them. There's literally hundreds of uh, well, probably not thousands, but at least hundreds of these underground chambers all over um of New England. I'm gonna just say what Charles Pearson said. Charles Pearson luckily bought the Mystery Hill site and he realized that there was something going on there. He bought it from Pat T, or Patty fell in the bankruptcy or something. I can't remember what the story was. But Patty had bought it, or at least Pat T understood. Jonathan he understood that what he was sitting on was something of profound importance. And so a guy named Charles Pearson came along. and bought the place, or surveyed it, excuse me, in 1987. I think he ended up buying it. And he says, after after listening to everybody had to say about it, he says, the number of very large and prominent stones is limited. And those very large stones happen to be the ones that make up the significant astronomical alignments. The state at this site is a calendar by statistical probability or by accident, and not by design, demonstrates a complete misinterpretation of the obvious physical evidence at the site and a misrepresentation of the facts located at the site. Comments were made indicating that with over 100 standing stones, 100 standing stones at this site, and the freedom to adjust the observation center of the site to any location desired, that purely by chance, one could demonstrate a calendar site at any location. This is obviously not the case in Mystery Hill. In other words, people were saying, look, these are just standing stones. They just have to be standing up. And if I stand over here, the sun's going to set over here. But if you stand at a central location, they have a stone there that I think was the stone you'd stand at for these ceremonies, I guess it was, because you're not finding graves there. You're not finding a lot of artifacts there. But you are finding uh, if you stand on this one site and you stand there at the solstices and equinoxes and other times of the year at that one spot, remember, there's back in alignment for every day of the year, you're going to find that the sun is hitting right over the top or a little bit to the left or right because it has been thousands of years and some of the stones have fallen over or they've moved a little bit. But you're going to find that this actually has to be something more sophisticated than your chance. At any rate, I think that... Um, uh, there's another site, and I'm not as familiar with this, but it's called Gungy Womp, G-U-N-G-Y-W-A-M-P. I believe this is in Connecticut. And so one of the guys, I interviewed a guy um, who uh, talked about, had been there, He's a researcher at this place, back when I wrote a booklet about this. He says, when he was at Gungy Womp, by the way, there's a society called the Gungy Womp Society, I'll be to check them out. He saw a site that he would never forget. The guy's name is David Barron, by the way. Said the setting sun had cast a beam of light through the vent shaft at the back of the chamber in which we were standing. This beam of light slowly moved down the east wall and spotlighted into the small beehive crypt near the entrance. This stone line tube was designed precisely to permit the equinoctial sun to fully penetrate the chamber's dark interior for only two days of the year, March 22 and September 21. So those are the even the high density of garnet in the stones at the back magnify the intensity of the sunlight entering the chamber. It certainly acts as a predictable calendar, even now. Carbon dated, hmm, I don't know what they're carbon dating, and we're going to have to say that we have had some complaints in in the Barnes Review about the carbon dating uh, technique, which we talked about last week. But it's, it's it gives you a good idea. But they carbon dated this thing to 8600, so this is 400. Uh, to 500 years before the Vikings. And this is not the kind of thing the Vikings made. The Vikings would make Chris and Dave like like you guys would probably make your impromptu shelters in a cold climate. You would dig a deep hole. You would place sod or timbers over the top. And so this is just not a kind of a Viking construct. At any rate, there's mounds up there. I heard a lot of stuff from a lot of people after we published these articles that... Uh, they had seen odd things in their own hometowns, and they started getting um, uh, pictures of stuff coming in. And one guy, I not remember the name of it, it was, it was a beehive team. I wonder if I've got a picture of it in this thing. But the thing practically just spoke for itself. And um, let me see if I can find that thing. By the way, you ought to go online and check out Mystery Hill as well. And they have a, a drawing of this amazing... Uh, um, Construction. It's a massive site. I think it's twenty acres of of stuff. Um, but one of these wasn't. I wish I could remember the name of it. But it was. It, it would. It would have convinced you right then and there. Now there's one called the Upton Chamber. That's the name of it. It's in Upton, Massachusetts. <laughs> this is a long underground tunnel, six feet tall, rocks all around. It had to have taken years to construct. And um, at the end of the let me see what it says here. The building techniques used in this chamber are extremely sophisticated, most definitely not an American Indian nor a Viking design, but closely resemble stone constructions of religious sites in England and Ireland and British Isles. So at any rate, listen, we're, we're almost out of town. I wish I could have talked more about this and made it a little more interesting. It was a little drab compared to exactly what the true history of these amazing Megalithic Mysteries are. If anybody is interested in getting a copy of this particular paper that I wrote on that, which is 64 pages, excuse me, 48 pages, 48 pages long with pictures and uh, captions and interesting observations from multiple alternative scientists, go ahead and uh, put a comment down in there. How about that in the comment area under this program and just say you'd like to receive a physical copy of this book with the Mysterious Megaliths of New England, leave your address, or maybe not. Maybe leave your... Maybe leave just your to give them your email address. Yeah, maybe you're right. People don't want to put their own email address in the comment box. Mine is angel, A-N-G-E-L, at H-I-S dot com. That's angel at his dot com. Put
0: radio you can well. also uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com/overthrowradio, and uh, right there, actually, I posted the uh, um, uh, synopsis, uh, brief, you know, intro for the, this today's radio show. So you can like us on Facebook, and then uh, post a comment there too as well, and even email us directly through Facebook's Messenger, which is lousy, but uh, but Paul will get that as well too. Very good.
1: Read your read your. Uh, if you do email me, then read your physical address or leave me an email where I can, obviously, I just respond to you. And uh, I'll send you a copy of this booklet for just the cost of the shipping and handling. It's a $7 booklet that I'll send to you for $3 or $3.50, whatever it costs in the mail. I think you'll find it interesting. At any rate, listen, I am behind on this week's issue of American Free Press. I worked all weekend on the Orange Review, editing our next issue, getting that together. We've got some great stuff for both of these publications. American Free Press is AmericanFreePress.net. Orange Review is orangereview.com. Uh, we're in the midst of revamping our Orange Review website. I think everybody's really going to like what's going on there. It's not quite up yet, but it will be in the next week or so, I do believe. Uh, we encourage you to fly whatever flag you want to fly. Remember your cultural history. And I'm going to thank both of you guys for being on the show today. I uh, didn't get the chance to say much in that second half an hour, but that's okay because that's what I do. At any rate, uh, tune in next week. Monday, 10 to 12, History Today, and for now I'll say see you then. Bye-bye now.